Hi there, and welcome to this, which is our, let me get this right, ninth uh, um, webinar in our Smart Building series for 2017. And I'm really uh, happy to have a guy with us uh, called Dan Ryan from VergeSense. I will let him introduce himself in a bit. Uh, and obviously, we're talking about artificial intelligence today, and obviously specifically about uh, how it relates to the built environment, building management systems, and uh, all of that good stuff. Um, just before we start, a few things. Um, love to uh, get you guys to um, ask questions. So the way we do that, um, please type them in, uh, and I will uh, ask Dan, or indeed if you have any questions for me, then happy to, to have them as well. Uh, also, I need to say a, a big thank you to our sponsor, Project Haystack. Uh, would definitely recommend you check out their uh, their website, project-haystack.org. Uh, they are doing some really interesting things around open semantic data. Um, and uh, yeah, it's well worth, well worth going, checking that out, getting involved. Uh, and also, um, just if, uh, yeah, uh, we'll come on to it later, but um, next week, we've uh, sorry, next month, we've already got a webinar booked in, which is going to look at indoor mapping technology as well. So yeah, stay tuned for more about that. Uh, so just want to say um, hi and welcome to Dan Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing great, James. How about yourself? Good, thank you. And uh, yeah, I thought it would just be really interesting to start off with a bit about yourself um, and your background. Sure. Um, so I, I guess um, I could call myself a, a, a repeat entrepreneur um, in the sense I had uh, founded and, and uh, ended up selling another company called ByteLight, um, which had created uh, indoor positioning and wayfinding technology. Um, stayed at the Acquire uh, Cuity for a couple of years after that, um, and then earlier this year, uh, kicked off a new venture. And um, what we're really trying to do with VergeSense is rethink, see, and sensing buildings um, by using uh, machine learning and artificial artificial intelligence. Um, what we've built is a, um, a a very simple yet powerful sensing device. Um, that uses a bunch of different uh, sensory inputs, uh, heavily relying on, on computer vision. And uh, we use that sensor to gather data about uh, where people are moving within buildings. Um, which um, based on um, the, the, the data coming into the sensor, and then um, push data through system that the, um, the building might already have. Um, there's, a, there's certainly a, a lot of other folks that have looked at this, and um, and you know we're, we're we're using that data to do things like Dan, uh, uh, as well as Dan, your your um your audio's uh, going in and out a little bit. Any chance you could uh, go somewhere <laughs> somewhere with a little bit oh, sure. better connection? Can you hear me now? Is this better? I can indeed. Yeah, that's better for me. Okay. Anyone else right. who can't hear him, then uh, send me a message and I'll, um, I will try and sort it out. Sorry, I interrupted. Carry on. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, briefly entrepreneur in the space, VergeSense, we're making um, uh, people counting sensors that use uh, computer vision um, to count you know, where people are moving within buildings. 
And then we make that data available through an API uh, for the facility manager, for the building owner to better understand how their space is being used. And the primary way that, that customers are looking at this today is for um, better uh, managing the space that they have. Um, so, so leveraging the exact count of people in the building to b- better optimize that space, um, as well as um, more precisely control uh, heating and cooling based on the exact uh, people counts within the building. Mm, okay, really interesting. Because actually people counting is quite a hard problem to solve, right? Correct. Um, the, the primary way that people have approached this in the past has been um, in using um, you know, mo- more simple kind of motion sensing devices. Um, but the, the, the challenge of getting an exact people count within a room is um, um, yes, n- not, not a trivial, uh, trivial thing to do. And um, you know, we, we've approached it with this really lightweight device um, that uses um, embedded computer vision, and it's um, it's wireless, so you can uh, plug it in pretty quickly and get an exact count of, of how many people are in a room. Mm, okay, uh, just got a question for you uh, popped up. Has this technology been integrated with energy management systems? Um, not yet. Um, but it's something that um, we're starting to hear a lot about uh, in the market. There was actually um, a spec put out earlier this year from uh, from ARPA, um, which is an advanced research um, division of the in, in the U.S. around using the exact uh, people counts uh, in rooms to more precisely control the heating and cooling uh, into the room using the um, by modulating the fan speed mm-hmm. and. Um, um, the, the, the thinking is that with those sort of efficiencies, you can cut um, energy consumption for a building by upwards of 20%. So um, it's not something that we've actively done yet, but it's something that we're here a lot about and, and we're looking to do in the future. Yeah, and uh, this, this is great. I mean, th- this, that kind of information, I think, as you're, you're right, you rightly identified, is super important, not just for, for energy, but for other applications. You know, being able to know where people are in the building at a specific point in real time. I mean, it has loads of applications right across all the different technologies. I mean, life safety, for example. Yeah, that's a common one. Um, so knowing, you know, how many people are in a building in an emergency scenario. Um, and um, one, one other thing that's um, important in a situation like that is the ability to do this passively um, without requiring um, the people within the building to do anything, you know, i.e. have an app installed on their phone or um, they have some sort of badge that they have to wear. Um, the, the ability to get the exact count and to be sure that that count is correct uh, is really important in a bunch of different contexts. And yeah, certainly safety and emergencies is one of those. I've also seen some kind of more trivial examples, but things like catering, um, you know, that actually it's, you know, if there's some kind of restaurant or some kind of internal facility for, for catering within the building, like it's really useful for the, the cooks to know how many people are, are there on a particular particular day so they can make sure that they're not overproducing food. Yeah, there's a dynamic kind of staffing component to that as well. Um, as you have, um, you know, fluctuations in workforce day by day, how can you more, you know, um, uh, precisely allocate staff to service those folks. There's even, you know, simple, obvious ones like um, as an employee, how long is the line in the cafeteria right now? And how does that affect my decision to go at 11 versus one o'clock in the afternoon and that sort of thing. So um, there's a bunch of different use cases and 
um, for for you know companies in that space, it's actually one of the challenges associated with with technology like this is really uh, nailing down and identifying what are the first key use cases that you want to focus on as a company, and then and then think through how you build out from there. Uh, but certainly, tons of apps. Yeah, and and so you mentioned an API. So you allow you've built this so that you can easily get information out of your your bit of hardware. I think I've actually got a we've got a photo of it here. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, you know, our our product we don't view ourselves as just providing the um, the sensor hardware itself. That's certainly a, a key part of the solution, but it's uh, the hardware as well as an API to access data that the sensor generates. Um, and then you could push that data into any system that you want. Uh, could be, you know, a room booking system, could be a CAD, you know, uh, space management, space planning system, could be an energy management system. Um, so we support all of those. Um, API is open, it's restful, it's uh, um, fairly simple to integrate. Um, and then we also have our own um, software tools, a very simple uh, sort of software tools for viewing um, you know, kind of basic analytics about um, what the sensors are generating. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I also wanted to dig in to, um, you know, the topic today, artificial intelligence. Because obviously, you mentioned that in, it, you know, in how you've developed using that in, in how you've developed your software and, and your, your platform. You maybe give us a sense of um, what you think that term really means. I don't obviously want to sort of teach go back to basics with people but you know it's one of these terms now there's a lot of hype around it so i'm i'm, I'm wondering if people you know are able to really understand you know the concept of, of what it is and how how it can apply to buildings yeah yeah it's uh it's it's certainly it's at the peak of the gartner hype cycle right now yeah. um so a couple of years ago it was really but now it's, it's pretty pretty hot and you know, in, in the context of buildings, um, I, I think about it in two ways. Um, the first way is how can you use machine learning and, um, and, and AI to make a better sensing device? Um, and, and, and by that, I mean, one, one thing that um, uh, machine learning has become very good at is identifying uh, patterns based on large quantities of data. Um, so in the past, if I wanted, we we're talking about how do you build a people counting sensor, uh, if I wanted to build a people counting sensor using a, uh, an image, I would code, you know, hey, uh, a person has two eyes, they have a face, they have a couple arms, and um, you would code all that logically. Um, with machine learning, um, what you can do is you can instead feed algorithms, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of different photos of this is what a person looks like. And then um, those algorithms will actually learn over time to recognize what a person is. Um, and then once you've trained that, um, those algorithms, you can deploy those in very lightweight fashion on really inexpensive hardware. Um, so in that way, you're kind of using you know, these massive quantities of data um, to program and create a new type of sensor that will perform um, really, um, really efficiently. So um, that's kind of one element. The other element of it, and this is a little earlier. Um, sorry, did you have a question? Well, I was just going to say, maybe we could unpack that a little bit and then come on to the, the second point. Because I think you raised some interesting points there about, about training of data, right? So the, there is the, the, this concept of machine learning is, is essentially 
it implies some intelligence, but it's but what it's really going on, right, is that that this algorithm is statistically using a large data set to be able to recognize patterns more efficiently. Exactly. Yes. Um, it, it, and that's where I think, you know, when we say machine, machine learning versus AI, um, they're very distinct terms. Mm. Um, AI is typically in the context of um, how do I actually, you know, take action against, you know, a, a, a set of data, right? How do I actually kind of act upon things? Um, whereas with, with something like machine learning, it is, it is yes, a statistical analysis of, of reams of, of, of different data. Mm. Um, and it's for us, when we think about um, how do you make, call it a, a, a machine learning powered sensor, um, it's that latter piece of uh, how do I train a sensor to detect a certain event mm. uh, in a way that without these statistical tools wasn't really possible before. Right. But of course, and of course, it, it requires a certain architecture as well, right? Because you need to be, you need to be doing the data processing on the cloud because um, that's where the computing power is, right? Yeah, the, the, way, the way a lot of this, um, so there's, there's kind of two components uh, of building a machine learning system. The first is training, um, and that happens in the cloud uh, on really expensive, high-performance hardware. Um, typically, you'll run these on specialized uh, uh, GPUs, graphical processing units, um, and, and that will take you know, potentially days or weeks to actually train a model. Um, and that's running um, those algorithms over you know, these massive quantities of data. But once you've uh, trained the model, um, it's literally like, if you think about it as a lightweight um, software file, um, that model can then be deployed on a sensing device. Um, and then you can do the other half of machine learning, which is in, in inference, which is when I see an image, I run that image against my pre-trained model, and then I, I can compute the result. Um, and that can happen actually pretty efficiently on, uh, on that low cost uh, hardware. So it's kind of the synergy of, um, you know, you go, to, you go to school in the cloud, but once you've learned everything you need to learn in the cloud, um, then you can start, you know, acting on the device. And it's kind of this really nice um, synergy, which in the context of buildings um, actually aligns very nicely because uh, in, in a building environment, um, you might not have access to a high speed network. Um, you probably don't have um, a direct um, wired connection to your sensor. And um, the ability to do all that compute on the edge and then just stream back the processed events um, over um, that network is a really powerful uh, position to be in. Yeah, yeah. A uh, question came in here. Um, does, your, does the device that you've um, produced include different types of sensor? It does, yeah. So the primary one that we're using is is computer vision. Um, we do have some um, some motion uh, input into that, um, and um, we also have uh, an acoustic uh, sensor on there um, as well um, that we're not heavily using currently. Um, but um, acoustics and audio is actually another very um, rich source of potential information. It's very well suited for for the sort of um, pattern recognition, statistical learn you can do with machine learning. Um, and that's something that we're looking to do down the road. But right now, mostly computer vision based. Any thermal or moisture sensing? Uh, currently, no. No. But okay, this is the, obviously 
as you develop and, and sort of mature as a business, you can, you can see what, what's going to work and what isn't. And as you said, like, you know, a lot of the time you can packing a lot of different senses on can, can really open up different, different avenues for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and that, that's an area that's also, um, particularly interesting. Um, so when you look at something like, um, a people counting sensor. Um, there's certainly a bunch of different ways you can do that. But um, if you're looking at monitoring other types of equipment or assets that you might have in your building, um, having just computer vision might not be enough for that. You might have to combine a computer vision sensor with an audio sensor with maybe an RF um, monitoring sensor um, to detect when a piece of equipment is turned on and off and, and that sort of thing. And uh, oftentimes, the combinations of those different inputs together uh, can produce a really rich source of information. So, what what do you say is you know when we talk about training data, like what what how much information, how much of this training data does like the system or any system really need to be able to you know um, learn and and understand <laughs> patterns. Yeah, so this is the um, the fundamental challenge with any um, sort of machine learning AI startup is um, how do I get training data? And um, the, the rule of thumb is is more is always better. Um, th there's not any sort of uh, quantity. It all depends on what sort of um, accuracy and precision that, that you're going after. But I guess you know one one anecdote for um, for us, you know, we've we've trained our our devices against uh, hundreds of thousands uh, of different samples uh, of data, and um, we're always looking to uh, expand upon that. Um, and over time, as you get more and more data, inevitably the uh, the performance will get uh, much better. But um, finding access to quality training data. Um, is one of the big barriers um, for a lot of companies that try to get um, into this space, and um, it is a kind of fundamental common problem between between anybody. Yeah, I can imagine. A quick related question just came in about that. Um, when training the model, do you use aggregate data from different unrelated buildings, or do you use data from a particular building where the system will be deployed? It's a, it's a very, very good question. Um, so in general, um, we opt for more uh, generalized models. Um, so we look to build you know, a model that will work in, in basically um, any environment. Um, and with that, the onus is on collecting you know, a very, very diverse uh, data set. Um, there are alternative approaches in which you could do um, local training against um, your you know, a particular environment. Um, that has some downsides in that you need to do uh, more calibration to that space. Um, so we opt for the more kind of general purpose uh, approach. And it's, um, you know, it's kind of an analogy at some level um, with, um, you know, with, with folks in the past have done with, with um, and are currently doing with, with self-driving cars. And that um, as you have more and more uh, sensors deployed um, in the environment, uh, each sensor at some level, ability to teach all the other sensors how to be smarter as they gather more training data. So we opt for that, that sort of approach. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I actually, sorry, because I really interrupted you a while back, didn't I, where you were talking about, so we, we talked about the two applications here, right, in terms of buildings. And we discussed 
the training of sensor data. Yeah. What was the what was the second one you were gonna you were gonna mention? Um, yeah. So yeah, in terms of how you use AI building, so one is you know making better sensors. Um, the the other one, which is earlier, um, and and I think potentially even more impactful down the road is actually, um, you know, kind of automating the building operation itself um, and having the building basically auto, um, operate autonomously. And uh, that would be doing things like automatically identifying when equipment is going to fail and uh, sending out dispatches to somebody to replace it or uh, automatically um, tuning and operating uh, the building without requiring uh, as much human input as there is um, today. Um, we, we, we talk about this a little bit in the context of some of our software. Um, part of what we do for uh, space optimization is um, you know, we say we don't provide just a dashboard to folks. We actually um, try and surface actionable um, um, data that a facility manager or space planner can take, i.e., I've noticed that you know a whole set of the building is underutilized currently. I've got another session of the building which is crowded all the time. Um, you should load balance the building. You should move people from floor five to floor four because um, floor five is overcrowded. Floor four is is, is underutilized and start to take action. Uh, and I think you know you know five years from now that sort of autonomous building will be, will be the paradigm. Um, that's a sort of higher level, more AI driven um, approach to buildings um, that would have to be coupled with obviously the, the smart sensors that support all that data acquisition. Right, so we're kind of building on this foundation of machine learning, big data sensing. Yeah, the, the autonomous building would be the sort of end vision um, for that. But that's today, I, I still think that's, that's a couple of years, certainly many years away. Um, in the near term, I think a lot of the opportunity is in um, using machine learning to make uh, much more powerful sensors that have been possible before. So this kind of auto operations goal for Verge Sense is, is a little bit down the, is down the road. Down the road. A little bit. Yes. A couple of questions come in here. Um, is there an opportunity to integrate to the device directly locally uh, I guess that's talking about you know your your sensing device and then they're asking is there a documentation that illustrates the installation architecture especially when um, installing over multiple floors yeah, I'm trying try to maybe understand the question so so if, if the question is can I um, integrate locally I plug into a local network within the building yeah. Um, I guess so. Yeah. So, so we would have the ability to do that over IP. Um, currently, um, we've we've got a, a a version of the sensor that we haven't uh, released yet. That's going to have a PoE drop as well. Um, so we could wire in um, um, that way, um, and and we we would connect internally within the building uh, over IP. Uh, in terms of installation documentation, be um, happy to um, uh, follow up on that. We've we've got internal documentation we haven't uh, launched publicly okay. uh, on the website, but for projects we can support that. Okay, well maybe we'll, um, we can include your contact details at the end. Anyone interested in finding a bit more can, can contact you? Yeah, 
Great. That works well. Okay. Uh, another question, interesting one. How open are you? Uh, um, and I think obviously talking through through the AP, through the API, uh, can you access features, e.g., the sensing, optical, acoustic, through the API? Yep. Um, so the API doesn't support raw output of the sensors, you know, so, so we will report back our uh, processed output and currently that's, that's a people count um, and, you know, locations of, of, of folks. And, and that's done through a RESTful API that's open. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our longer term um, ambitions for the platform though, is to support um, uh, third party um, training for specific use cases beyond something like people counting. So that would be um, if you have a scenario in which um, maybe you want to track sitting versus standing um, within a building, or you want to identify how people are interacting with equipment, or if you have some really custom um, need that isn't addressed by one of our core services, um, we would support the ability to train your own models and then actually deploy them um, on the devices that as well. Is, that Not is something that's available. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's what um, um, Amazon are doing with Alexa now, right? Yeah. Like a third party sort of developer platform, yeah. um, that you could, you could load your own custom models on. Um, and, um, that's not something we have, um, uh, available currently. We have a lot of internal tooling for that, but, uh, it's one of our ambitions to, uh, to open that up. Um, and in terms of how we built the platform, um, our whole stack is built around uh, Google's TensorFlow um, machine learning stack, which is an open source uh, project that's um, um, got a really strong developer community around it. And, and that's likely the sort of paradigm we would, we would follow for, for developing those models and deploying them. Mm. I read recently the, uh, someone written an Alexa, uh, they're called Skills, aren't they? Alexa Skill for, for Niagara, for the Tritium Niagara. Yep. So integrating that again, I, I think that's some. There's some really interesting applications for voice, and, and yeah. from what I've seen, actually, that's one of the areas that's really benefited from this kind of machine learning, big data paradigm, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the current kind of a, approach of machine learning is like I, I forget who exactly said this, so I'm I'm, I'm stealing this from somebody else. But yeah, um, currently, m- machine learning is solving all of the senses independently, right? So it's solving computer vision, it's solving audio, right? Mm-hmm. And um, something like Alexa is a great example of that. You know, before um, neural networks, you know, voice interfaces were, were, you know, just really clunky. They didn't work well. Um, and Alexa has just become phenomenal um, in its uh, performance. And it's all of, of a machine to understand your voice and to translate that into um, a command. And um, yeah, I think that's um, um, very fascinating uh, space because you start to reduce the barriers between you know interaction between a human being and a computer. I don't have to pull out my phone. I don't have to interact with the screen. I can just say something uh, into the environment and the environment will respond to me. So um, I think this is all kind of part of this bigger theme of how do the environment uh, around me become smarter and smarter uh, more passively, requiring less and less effort uh, on behalf of me as the user. And uh, in voice, voice and audio, uh, we think are super compelling uh, inputs um, that we'll look at in the future. Absolutely, I think the word you pick out there is passive, because um, I mean we've, passive. I, I yeah, I mean I did a, a webinar with a guy a while back earlier this year, and we talked about 
uh, he he's convinced voices is probably or hopefully the killer application for the smart home uh, and people have been saying that for, <laughs> for years right that what is going to like what is the what is the application that's really going to open the home to to more technology but because i mean people have been talking about smart homes since the 50s and 60s and yeah we haven't got there yet there isn't there hasn't been anything yet which is a really i don't personally this is my opinion anyway that's really compelling that's that's a mass market yeah application. yeah yeah i mean i mean voice it's all about reducing friction you know um a lot of um you know intelligent home lighting systems and home audio systems came out you know four years ago uh but you had to use an app to turn your lights on and off and you know that was not a, a great user experience not not much better than a, than a light switch right you usually prefer the switch but uh, now with Alexa uh, and and you know voice in the home, that 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 friction is completely gone, and then you're starting to see the user adoption um, that that was impossible before because those barriers are reduced. So, um, and, and then kind of building on the theme of passive, we skipped over um, before a little bit. Um, that that's one of our one of the big opportunities that we think is is now unlocked with you know these kind of machine learning smart sensors like what we're doing with uh, with BirdSense, and that. Um, in the past, if you wanted to make a smart environment, um, I would have to stick a bunch of sensors and all the objects in my in my room, right? Maybe RFID tags or Bluetooth tags or, or what have you. Um, but with a smart sensor in the ceiling um, that's trained to detect a bunch of different things, if I have the training data, I can train the sensor to count people. I could train it to track the location of assets. I could train it to uh, monitor other information about the environment without having to install all that additional hardware in the room. So um, it's a passive versus an active approach to sensing that we also think will um, reduce friction and then ultimately hopefully drive adoption uh, in, in the market. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think in some of the research we're doing and seeing that, I, I, think I would definitely um, echo echo that point. So we we talked about this machine learning uh sensor platform being able to collect the data obviously and then you know using it as training data you know creating uh, uh, an accurate model um all that good stuff then we've sort of talked about the the fully automated building right so there seems like a gap there right to me between saying well, okay well, great we have this data that we've collected um that we can we can build a model and we can uh, we can make some decisions right about how to control the building based on that, but that is still requires um, some human input at some level. Right. But then we're talking about full automation, which is I guess what I would term as then the system makes the decisions. So how do you, do you see what I'm trying to get at here? Are we? How do we yeah. cross that? How, what's going to be the technology that allows us to cross that chasm? And I guess the the this automated uh, system is what I would really um, consider as something that is artificially intelligent. Yep, it, um, it's a great question, and um, you, you don't go from you know here to there immediately. Um, but but I would say that the playbook for that is actually kind of already been written in other contexts and other industries. And if, I'll go back to kind of self-driving cars, right? So um, how do you create a self-driving car? You start with 
cramming a bunch of sensors on it, number one, right? So you put computer vision, you put LiDAR, you put a bunch of sensing devices on the cars. Um, and then you have people drive them. And um, as people drive, they collect data. And uh, in the process of actually you know, driving those cars, uh, they're actually training um, the algorithms that will power the future AI agents in, in, down the road. Um, and you see like a lot of the self-driving car companies, um, you've got Google with Waymo and there's a bunch of startups in the space. Um, they'll report quarterly on the amount of miles that um, their cars have, have driven. And um, as they collect all that data, you have human input and then you have the sensory output. You're actually creating the, the, the foundation for those models. And um, I, I think that same model um, could apply potentially to buildings as well. Um, if you were to have um, sensors everywhere, collecting all sorts of data about um, what's going on with the, in the building, and then couple that with data collection about what that human control element is, you know, how we're actually controlling and managing the buildings today. Fuse those together, um, you start to be, have a blueprint for training the autonomous building um, of the future. So um, I think we're, we're starting to kind of lay the building blocks right now of, of collecting the sensory data over time, collecting the actuation data. And then once we start to blend those things together, um, I think you start to build that foundation for the autonomous building. Mm. Yeah, um, we've got a couple of um, good questions coming, um, but I just wanted to follow up on that. Yeah, sure. The so when and when if we move towards this um, fully automated environment, what do you do? You see there being some uh, you know resistance to that? I mean, I mean, obviously, what I'm trying to get at is I, I sense some nervousness around artificial intelligent software um people wondering whether this is a good idea to you know actually uh let's say delegate responsibility to machines right and i've seen this yep. it's been written about a lot about um you mentioned autonomous cars you know the moral dilemma right okay that these cars might face uh in terms of deciding you know if there is a, going to be a crash through no fault of that of that cars yeah that then uh and they have the choice between you know crashing or killing someone on the pavement how they program that um i mean not saying it obviously directly translates to to buildings but you can see is there is there a point at, at which we shouldn't be um delegating responsibility i mean i i think um so this is a this is a fundamental challenging question that um, tons of folks are, are, are trying to wrestle with. I, I think um, just to start with, it's actually a great example you brought up. And I think it hits on one of the, uh, one of the, the big kind of issues with, with these algorithms is that uh, they tend to be black boxes. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that, you know, when, once, you, once you create a neural network, um, you've, you've trained it against hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of, of pieces of data. Um, the actual network that get, gets created um, is almost impossible for a human to decipher. It's basically a black box. So if you had the scenario in which, you know, the car has to make a decision between, um, you know, hitting another car or, like, or, or colliding with a pedestrian or, or, or what have you, um, actually understanding how it made that choice um, is, is an open research question in, in AI today. Um, navigating neural networks is, is not, not a trivial thing. And 
Um, I, I think one of the um, consequences of that is, of course, it becomes very difficult to trust these algorithms because you don't really know what's what's kind of operating under the hood. But um, I think at the end of the day, I, I think it's important to focus on um, the overall outcomes. And um, if, if we have a step function increase in, you know, if you think in the context of autonomous cars, um, safety for, for vehicles, um, at, at the overall level, I, you know, that's, that's, I think, nothing but a good thing collectively for us overall, less people getting injured, less people dying. Um, in the context of buildings, if we have um, buildings that can operate um, 50% more efficiently than they do today, um, that's a net win for society overall. Um, but I think at the end, um, you know, it, it, it has to be, it comes down to a judgment call over uh, how much you want to trust the AI um, versus um, how much human oversight you want to you wanna put over it. Um, I don't think that we'll get to a point in which there's, um, in, in the near term, uh, in which there's 100% autonomous operation, I think you'll always have um, uh, human uh, oversight and intervention. Uh, but I think with autonomy, you will have the ability to uh, drastically improve um, the operation by, by oral magnitude. But humans will never leave the equation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just come on to these um, questions that had come in. Uh, good one. Sure. Uh, what common barriers do you come up against when pitching this technology to commercial real estate? Um, you know, folks, one, one that, you know, folks, as with any, any product, um, installation, um, complexity is, is certainly probably the, the, the most, um, the most important issue. It's one that we focus a lot from a, from a product perspective. So, uh, we've invested heavily in trying to make our sensors, uh, incredibly simple to install. We're not where we want to be yet, but, um, they're wireless devices. Um, they operate on an isolated network. They backhaul data over cellular. So, so anything that we can do to keep the installation complexity really low uh, is really, really important. Um, we, we do get a lot of questions about privacy as well. You know, the ability to have all these sensors uh, deployed in a building, how you uh, guarantee privacy. And uh, this is one of the areas in which I actually think, uh, you know, machine learning and the ability to do this processing on the edge uh, has a big advantage uh, because we don't, um, stream any raw data uh, back to the cloud. Um, we do all our computing within the building itself and only send back the detected events. Uh, but those two are probably the most uh, the most common uh, objections that we hear in the market. Yeah, yeah, and that's certainly not limited to you. I hear that a lot, especially the, the privacy one. Yep. Uh, question here, uh, can you use your optical sensors for uh, photogrammetry point cloud meshing? Um, we don't have um, a, a depth sensing capability currently. Um, and the, the current product that we have is a, is a single optical sensor. So we're, we're not uh, currently doing anything um, um, depth-wise or photogrammetry-wise mm -hmm. yet. Um, but that's certainly another potential interesting path right. that we're not pursuing it right now. Yeah, another avenue for, for future development, right? Uh, I wanted to come on sort of like second half of the interview now, like, like discuss, I mean, some of um, your thoughts around like the startup space in smart buildings. Uh, we wrote a report earlier in the year about how we've seen, you know, a lot of companies come in 
I think it's super interesting at the moment. I mean, are you finding how how receptive have you have companies been to to you you guys? Um, so we we found it to be um, better than expected. You know, kind of my, my view going into this was you know smart buildings haven't been the um, you know, the, the sexiest vertical, um, you know, relative to all the, the various other places that you can put um, capital into. Mm. Um, but but I, I, think, I think what you've started to see is that um, investors are looking uh, more broadly at, at different areas that haven't yet been fully impacted um, by technology. And um, smart buildings are one of those sectors that are, you know, as a category, it's, it's an enormous category. Um, you know, number two cost center for a business, multi-trillion dollar uh, asset class. And, um, you know, hasn't fully yet um, been, um, been impacted by tech. So um, the reception thus far we've seen has been, uh, has been strong. Um, and there's certainly a lot of fascination with, you know, this intersection of sensors and machine learning um, and the ability to um, gather all sorts of data about what's going on in these environments and, and, and do those things with it. Um, one, of, one of the, I, I think, the great challenges for uh, startup companies in this sector is, uh, is channel and go to market. Um, I, don't, I don't think you can really win in smart buildings with a purely um, technical strategy. Um, you do need to do a lot of thinking around um, go to market and how you're going to get your product into the space. Um, and I think for more seasoned investors in this space, that that's an area where um, they'll ask a lot of questions about it because, you know, they've seen other companies, um, you know, struggle with that channel and go to market piece of it. And um, for us, channel and go to market is, is, you know, we think about it a lot, you know, equally with um, our, our technology development. Yeah, I mean. In the the work we've done researching the market for you know God it's nearly ten years now I mean that is that is something you really can't underplay you know about how it's so important yeah understanding yeah. how how buildings you know are really built and it's a very you know and it isn't um, it's not a you know it's not like a good consumer electronics market it's uh, quite a complicated multi-layered you know contractual relationships i mean and that's just new build right and then what you've also got is thousands of uh um older buildings and there's also exactly. an opportunity of retrofitting there um so yep. you know, what in terms of what you're doing and, and looking at the possibility of you know uh let's let's say you know lowering the boundary to integration or so to installation is super interesting because you know most of the technology like, of going into commercial buildings now is uh, is obviously done through through systems integrators uh, but and they have quite an important part to play in in uh, in in various uh, areas because of course a lot of the time company don't particularly want to self-install because they want someone to have some responsibility for for that Absolutely. piece of technology. Yep. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there isn't, um, you know, ways of uh, disrupting the market. And I think uh, I think there are definitely um, huge opportunities for for disruption in in this kind of this kind of space. Yeah, and you hit on a big big piece of that, which is um, you know the the size of the retrofit opportunity. Um, 
you know, it's, it's kind of obvious to say, but there, there's a lot of buildings that have been built, right? And um, there's not a lot of intelligence yes, uh, yet in those, in those buildings. So um, how do you align your product strategy? How do you, you know, create a, um, a solution that's really simple and fast to install? Um, and couple that with um, um, a strategy to get um, to get products in front of people and do it in a way that it's efficient to tackle that um, that opportunity. But um, yeah, the channel is very very complicated, multi layered. There's a variety of folks that play really important roles, and um, you have to really be, be cognizant of that um, in trying to get 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 to market and get to the space. Mm. Someone's asking here if you can say something about the commercial aspect of your solution, uh, for example, pricing. Um, is there is there any public information on that at the moment? Um, we don't we don't public we're not yet publicly disclosing pricing. I, I can I can give, I guess give a high level and um, if folks want to follow up, um, we're, we're happy to um, have some follow up conversations. But um, yeah, in terms of how we, we price, um, we, we provide customers with an all in bundled price uh, in which they get sensor hardware plus API access uh, plus software. Um, and then we price by the number of devices. So um, it's sort of the high level, but uh, you know, if um, anybody has any follow-up questions, we're, we're, we're happy to uh, engage those after the fact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, also, I mean, we sort of just quickly hit on, you know, the sort of VC investor perspective in smart buildings at the moment it seems to be kind of warming up for them. And we noticed that in like the amount of money that's sort of being invested in this space. Um, what about sort of incumbent companies? How have, have, have you had much interaction with, uh, you know, some of the more uh, traditional building technology companies? Yeah, we, we've, we've had a, a, a variety of conversations and um, um, they're, um, they're also, very, you know, of course, very interested in how this space is, is, is going to evolve as well. Um, and, and to the, um, you know, the point we're just hitting on on channel, um, that's certainly where the incumbent companies are incredibly strong. Uh, they have uh, great market access. Um, they have um, you know established networks of uh, reseller partners, system integrators partners, reps, um, and um, they have a, a very you know important role to play. Um, and and I, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how. How that dynamic shapes up over the next uh, couple of years. Um, they're also looking for growth opportunities for their businesses, of course, um, and, um, and and a big part of that is um, you know identifying more source, sources of recurring you know kind of subscription um, as a service oriented revenue. Uh, and as a lot of these um, um, IoT sensor products start to kind of have that sort of flavor, uh, products like us, in which you know it's not. We don't say we're selling the hardware. Uh, we, we provide, we call it sensor as a service in which um, you get everything as one package and then we're ultimately selling data uh, to the customer. And uh, I thought of the, I think a lot of the big established players are, are looking to evolve their business models as well to, to identify more of that subscription uh, revenue opportunity. Uh, and then trying to figure out how they can leverage their existing sales channels to best attack that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a big challenge for them because, um, of course, you know, once you've once you the, the ship's that big, it's really difficult to turn it. You know, you've let's say build up a channel distribution through uh, you know the the over time that, that's super strong, but if if people are coming in disrupting it with sort of different business models, then uh, yeah, it's difficult to 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 switch. I mean, yep. 
they're not the only ones finding that out. I mean, Microsoft have gone through various sort of painful, um, you know, uh, areas right in their business with with changing uh, changing types of software. Exactly. Yeah, and it's um, it's one of those things like the, the shift is often painful and and certainly behind. Uh, but some folks do emer- emerge, you know, quite strong. And Microsoft's actually a great example of that. You know, they had a very painful transition from their more legacy, you know, Windows um, license-based um, um, business model to now um, cloud and subscription-based with 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 Azure and mm-hmm. and um, you know a lot, a lot of the work they're doing there. But um, they've They've, they've been doing quite well um, now in that transition. So I think in the near term, you will see some, some pain points, but I, I think you'll, you'll start to see um, some of the, um, you know, some of the, the larger players also um, um, navigate it successfully and come out stronger, but certainly some folks will get left behind. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another question for you. Is there, go, is there an ongoing support aspect to uh, your solution, your offering? Yeah, yeah, we we uh, we bundle support uh, as well with uh, with our subscription pri- pricing, so it's kind of all in as a service, and we we get support too. Great. I was going to ask uh, a little bit about um, what um, what I understand was that you, you came through uh, an incubator, right? Uh, why Y Combinator? Yep, yeah, we did Y Combinator um, this summer, which was uh, which was an awesome experience. But um, but yeah, we we came through YC. Yeah, so I was just going to ask about that experience. I mean, do you, how much value do you think? Because one of the trends we've seen is, so, you know, as, as I mentioned before, some of the bigger incumbent companies in buildings being much, uh, and not just in that area, also, like, you know, in hardware and, and, and bigger software companies, sort of not just focusing on investing in, in businesses, but also, you know, starting up incubators. How how has it helped to develop your business? Um, so yeah, w- w- YC in particular. I mean, YC was just was was just awesome um, in in a in a bunch of different ways. Um, one for for us, you know, it, we we came into this, you know, it was was our was our second um, company, so we're kind of like, oh, do we need to do an incubator or not? Do we want to do an accelerator? And uh, we would absolutely recommend it to uh, to, to anybody. Um, it was. Uh, um, you, you get partly, um, you know, great uh, mentorship and uh, support from the partners there. You know, people who have who have literally seen it all, um, who, have, who have seen you know hundreds um, now with YC over thousands of different startups kind of go through the uh, the ups and downs. That that's been great. But um, I actually would say that the, the best part of it was uh, having a community of other companies um, that you start to meet. Um, oftentimes, entrepreneurship so like it's a very um, uh, you have a lone wolf endeavor at times. You're 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 kind of out on your own. You're by yourself, and uh, to have a community of other folks who go and kind of going through that at the same time um, was uh, was super valuable. And uh, you know, we we had a bunch of just just amazing other um, folks in in, the, in our batch. You know, we had a company that was uh, basically building their own version of Amazon Go. You know, using video cameras for autonomous checkout. Uh, there was another company that was doing um, uh, robotic autonomous farming. Um, so literally, you know, robots that would, would, you know, automatically harvest on their own and plant and that sort of thing. We had a company that was using computer vision to diagnose skin diseases. So 
um, a whole variety of different, just, just amazing um, applications of technology. And to kind of go through all that at the same time, get that support uh, was great. Um, and they also have, you know, um, um, the dedicated resources, um, support from AWS, Google, and all that, which was, uh, which is awesome. Um, I, I think in the context of uh, larger companies doing incubators, um, I, I don't know if I have a strong opinion about it. I, I think it's, I think it's um, doing incubators is, is is a difficult thing in general, and um, for, for 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 something like like you know YC and others who have done it a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. So. Um, I, I would, I would, I would just be, you know, curious to see how that, um, how that works out. It's a big, it's a big commitment. There's a lot of support required to make it really successful. But our, our experience was, uh, uh, was great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll come back to sort of the the Y Combinator stuff. But I mean, on your on your point about, um, you know, companies sort of setting up these kind of accelerators, I think obviously they're not doing it as a charity. <laughs> In, in the sense that I think I, I see the two reasons, you know, one being that they are, it's almost an insurance policy, right, against disruption for them. Um, but also, you know, an, an opportunity to to bring on or bring at least um, uh, um, some innovation into the business. Because uh, yeah. I guess being, you know, an incumbent, that that is one of the big threats, right, is that um, a, a Google or, a, you know, an Amazon comes along and, um totally uh disrupts your market um and you need to try and stay you need to do everything you can to stay ahead of that yeah yeah i mean and there's a bunch of different models you know you could approach for you know doing um corporate corporate innovation another one that um i've seen more kind of uh building automation kind of traditional uh smart building companies doing is actually just doing more investing mm-hmm. um more you know traditional um um, strategic investing um, in other companies, and that's another way to kind of um, have a pulse on uh, innovation and, and new companies coming into the foray and and um, and be up to speed there. So I think there's a bunch of different um, bunch of different potential approaches um, to to that. But um, it's, uh, it sounds like why uh, also why Combinator is um, or at least bringing on a lot more hardware companies these days is is that just do you think um just as a a natural progression because of uh, the way technology is going you know moving towards more internet of things companies or you know applications that involve sensing and hardware yeah i think it's a function of two things it, it's it's become a lot easier to be a hardware company than it was like six years ago. Um, back when I did my, my first company, actually, there, there's there's a there's a ton of uh, um, existing resources out there to support you. Um, there's dedicated hardware focused uh, VC fund um, that you know didn't really exist uh, five six years ago. Um, there's things like Raspberry Pi and uh, the Raspberry Pi Foundation, all the work they've done in sort of making these really simple out of the box um, hardware platforms that will enable you to do really rapid prototyping. So I, I think that like the, uh, the cost of entry have become a lot lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coupled with that, um, a lot of um, you know, s- software has software development um, has become a lot easier as well. And um, I, I think um, at some levels, you know, h- hardware can be a bit of a mixed blessing. It's kind of a blessing and a curse. It's, it's a curse sometimes in that it's it's certainly harder than doing a pure software. It's uh, a barrier to entry. 
uh, as well, because not every company can do it well. So uh, I think from the um, um, kind of the investment slash incubator uh, community, it's an opportunity to invest in um, some alternative models which have higher barriers to entry uh, into the market and um, also can solve some unique problems that you can't solve alone with uh, with a software solution. So I think that combination of lower barriers to entry coupled with um, um, the, the ability to, um, to, to have um, sustainability around a business that would have combined to make that more popular than it has been. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're coming to sort of the end of the uh, end of the uh, webinar now. Um, I just wanted to so I finish off and ask, you know, in from you know your now vast experience in in setting up technology companies in this space, you know, how do you see disruption playing out within sort of the medium term, next five to ten years? If you were betting on a horse, you know, if you were going to bet on one horse, <laughs> other than Vosense, of course, but but more. <laughs> In general terms, you know, where do you think um, the the really interesting part of this business is for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I think uh, certainly we're really excited about um, incredibly low cost, simple deploy sensors. You know, our, our vision is that our device is eventually something that can operate indefinitely, um, wirelessly, and still do collect all the sorts of data that we're collecting today and more. So think, you know, something that will last 10, 15 years and you can peel and stick on a wall. Um, we're not there yet, certainly, but we'd like to get there. So that's sort of the, the technology element of it. I, I think that um, these sensors will be pervasive. They will be everywhere. They'll be seeding data into these kind of autonomous uh, systems that will run on top of it. Uh, but I, I still, I come back to the conversation we had earlier on channel. Um, I, I think that's the most fascinating thing about this space. And um, you know, as as these new technologies come to um, come to market, as it becomes um, easier and easier to install um, sensors and automation technology, um, will that start to impact um, the channel as it stood in any particular way? And uh, I think disruption in this space will come from disruption of the channel. Um, and not necessarily a pure technology play. So um, I think, you know, any company that's um, starting to impact how projects get specified, how they get installed, how they get maintained, um, starts to become real, a really, really interesting thing. I haven't seen anybody really break out there yet, but um, that's certainly something that uh, we keep an eye on. And uh, I think that's the real pathway to disruption here. Yeah, agree. Fascinating stuff. <clears throat> Dan, if, if people want to get hold of you, how's the best way for them to do that? Um, email is best. I'm at uh, dan at vergesense.com. Uh, uh, you can also visit our website and, uh, and sign up uh, for a newsletter or, or demo form, and uh, we're happy to follow up. Great. And I'm going to be uh, posting the audio of this on SoundCloud. It's also going to be up on our website. So if any of you guys want to listen again, please do that. Uh, also, as I said earlier, um, we're doing another webinar next month with a company called Mycello. They're doing some really interesting stuff with indoor mapping. Uh, and we'll be talking to the CEO there. Uh, and also just want to finish off by saying thanks to uh, our sponsor, Project Haystack. That's project-haystack.org. And, of course, also to Dan. I really appreciate you taking the time today to, uh, to uh, share some of your thoughts with us. Thanks, James. It's been a, been a pleasure. Enjoyed right. it. Thanks a lot. Bye, everybody. Thank you.